Well, first, I'd like to uh, welcome everybody to the Morgan Stanley Tech Media and Telecom Conference. We're kicking off day one this morning. I know it's a period of elevated stress for everyone, so I want to thank all of you for your support and partnership, and we will work to make this the best event possible. If you have any questions or concerns that um, we can hopefully address, there are a lot of Morgan Stanley people running around the conference who are eager and happy to help. So uh, thank you for being here. We are going to touch on a lot of themes across these uh, four days here in San Francisco, uh, including the convergence of technology, media, and communications. And I can't think of a better way to kick that conversation off with the New York Times Company. And I'm joined once again by Mark Thompson, the president and CEO of New York Times. Mark, thanks for being here. Good morning. Good morning. Never a dull moment. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, so I know you guys had some news this morning. Maybe we should start with that, and then we can get into maybe a more higher yeah, level Yeah, we've, we've got a change. We've got a change in uh, in the guidance, uh, which I, I think the simplest thing. If I just read what we've uh, uh, what we said in our filing this morning, um, like many companies in recent weeks, um, uh, we've begun to see some economic impact from the coronavirus. Um, as you know, unlike uh, many news publishers, the New York Times is heavily skewed towards subscriptions rather than advertising. We've seen no adverse impact on subscriber growth uh, or indeed of the expected rise in subscription revenue, which remains strong and consistent with the guidance we gave in our most recent earnings call. However, we are seeing uh, a slowdown in international and domestic advertising bookings, which we associate with uncertainty and anxiety about the virus. We therefore now expect total advertising revenue to decline in the mid-teens in the current quarter, with digital advertising revenues expected to decline 10%. We remain broadly in line with all other guidance numbers we gave in the call in early Feb. So, change the, just, just the, as were the advertising parameters in the current quarter. Got it. Thank you for that. Maybe we can take that and broaden out. Um, you and I were just chatting about the coronavirus yeah. and sort of the news of this story. Um, and tell us a little bit about how the New York Times company, how this is impacting and driving the business overall. Sure. Well, well, I'm, I'm going to make a really obvious point, but, it, but it, it, it's sometimes forgotten this. By far the most important thing we've got to do at the New York Times is um, to cover the coronavirus story as well as we can and crucially make sure that all of our colleagues are as safe as they can be. I mean, it, it's an obvious point about journalism, but we, the moment you hear about an unknown new infectious disease in a Chinese city, you send journalists to that city. And we've had journalists in Wuhan uh, uh, and indeed many journalists um, throughout China ever since this story broke. And I, I want to say, I think our coverage, we're, we're particularly, this is a story which is obviously multi-part. It, sure. it, it's medical and scientific. It's geopolitical. It's economic. It absolutely relates now to domestic politics and so on. And there's enormous public uncertainty. So it's really important we cover it well and do it in a way which is as safe as it can be for all our colleagues. So that's our main focus. But the effect of, of coronavirus combined with a really lively um, uh, uh, US political news cycle um, has been, you know, an astonishingly intense period for news. Sure. From, from a business point of view, uh, as we noted in that guidance, um, we're very unusual amongst news publishers. We're heavily skewed towards subscriptions, um, which themselves obviously are driven by demand for news. Yeah. Um, and this is an incredibly intense news period. Um, uh, I don't think it's surprising um, um, that, you know, that we're seeing some 
current softening as marketers both, you know, beginning in Asia. Um, and the advertising side. Uh, on the advertising yeah. side. Yeah. Um, that these clients should, should, there should be some uncertainty there. So uh, I would say we feel very, very, as a, as a company, both now very well equipped to cover the story um, as well or better than any other news organization on the planet. We've got very sophisticated contingency plans to make sure we can go on covering it and go on keeping the New York Times going, you know, pretty much under all eventualities um, as, as this story unfolds. But also we think from a, a business point of view, in a sense, this is a really important time um, for high-quality journalism and that customers around the world will understand that. We talked last year about the demand for premium news, and you had a very nice year last year in net ads. Yeah. Can you just sort of put all that into context when you think about the drivers of growth last year and also help us think about what the addressable market is for a, a sure, digital I, business I, I, like What I want to say is, is it, this is a remarkable period for news, and I, I never want to underestimate the extent to which um, demand for news is driven by the actual news cycle. Um, I want to say that in a very significant way, though, we are more ready now um, to take advantage of this than we've ever, ever been before. Um, we're working really well as a team. We fundamentally change the way we do digital in a way which is, I would say, visibly to anyone who looks at our numbers, unlocking um, acceleration in the growth numbers. Um, and we feel confident as a business because we feel, you know, we've got into the habit of finding levers and pulling them, and we feel we've got many more levers to pull. Um, and so, I mean, the, the story is, I mean, I, um, you know, I would say about, probably now about 13 months ago, it was in, I think in the Q4 18 earnings call, um, throughout this target of, of 10 million uh, subscribers by 2025. Um, um, so, I mean, we were 5.3 million uh, at the end of, 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 of 2019. This isn't guidance, it's simply mathematics. If we were to add the same number of subscribers um, in 2020, we added in, in, in 19, we'd be approaching two-thirds the way to that target with five more years to go. Um, so I think that business of trying to reset the, the, um, the expectations of um, our industry, of shareholders, and of the wider world to how big um, these kinds of businesses can grow. I think we're well on the way to proving that out. And it's because, of course, an incredibly intense period for news, but also because of identifiable specific things we've done um, inside our business to try and drive that growth. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the migration we're seeing across media is pretty exciting and it's accelerating. Uh, we've got Netflix later today and Spotify in a couple of days. For those of us who are familiar with the video and audio world and what's happening there, how would you compare and contrast the evolution in digital news to those medium? Well, I think, I mean, I think there's, there's areas of commonality and areas of difference. So commonality, um, habituation with the idea of paying for high-quality content, that, you know, when you, when you approach um, digital devices, uh, there's a lot of stuff available for nothing. If you want the good stuff, if you want to watch... Um, you know, The Crown or uh, Game of Thrones, you're probably going to have to pay for it. That, I think, is common, the idea that, that you're beginning to see this tearing out and the best stuff is pay. They're a very familiar concept from environments like cable TV, by the way, but, but so not, not a new idea. That's, that's really common. Um, there are interesting differences. Um, it's possible, I mean, genuinely possible, 
um, in use to significantly um, uh, own and operate your kind of intellectual property engine. Uh, to have uh, a great newsroom and to have uh, um, employees who create wonderful content and where your, your, if you like, your ownership position in IP is incredibly strong. Um, there is no um, um, streaming organization on the planet um, who can, as it were, fill those streams just with their own content. Sure. And the, the issue for the, um, uh, for the entertainment streamers is the inflation on the supply side because of the competition means that the search for sustainable margins is very tough. Um, in music, you can see Spotify trying to um, uh, uh, aggressively move into podcasting as a, a, a way of potentially controlling at least some of the IP on which their business depends. Because again, they, they've, they've got, you know, they've got their subscribers on one side, but they've got the music companies on the other. And in many ways, the music companies are it may be exaggeration to say they're setting price, but they're playing an incredibly big, big voice in how much they're charging Spotify and other music streamers, which again means margins difficult. Yeah. One of the reasons we like our business, I mean, news is unlikely to scale for any one publisher as, as much as, I mean, you know, Reed at Netflix is, you know, aiming at half a billion or something, or knowing Reed, probably more than that. Um, we're not going to probably scale to that level. However, our control on our costs and the basic idea that once you've got an essentially fixed cost base of, of a newsroom and investment in product, digital product, and you know, established ways of doing things like digital marketing, and you go on scaling, operating leverage gets very interesting indeed. And that happens pretty quickly. I mean, uh, and we've seen one or two quite promising signs of that in recent quarters. The two, two quarters of spectacular growth in subscriber numbers but with actually seeing the marketing cost lines actually going down in those quarters. Now, you know, we, we, we're going to be intelligent about making sure we're investing properly in growth, but, and, and I don't guarantee that every quarter we're going to see that effect, but it's quite encouraging that we're seeing that, that particular effect of sub-numbers up, marketing costs down. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about the competitive dynamics in your business versus theirs. I mean, on one hand, the cost of news production is much lower than it is, at least in the video world. Um, but I wanted to ask you about uh, this article this morning uh, that, that Ben Smith wrote. I don't know how many people in the room have read it uh, on New York Times. Uh, it basically says that we're, uh, we're, we're the, new, the new Facebook. I've been texting my friends at Facebook to say, you see, we're just like you. you know, yeah, kind of. <laughs> well, maybe just to take the article as a launch pad into a question around competition. Yeah. How do you think about your competition? Is it that you compete with you know, everything on the internet that claims to be yeah. news, or do you compete with a much smaller set that you're actually pulling away from? Well, I think, look, um, I, I mean, firstly, in terms of attention, we're competing with the entire world, and indeed with the big yeah. uh, digital platforms for, for attention. But I think we've got a fairly particular uh, proposition, which is thoughtful, in-depth, high-quality news for people in America and around the world who really want to understand the world and are prepared to take the time and make the effort to understand it. And that's not everyone. That's a subset of humanity. Um, the, the one issue, I mean, uh, Ben Smith's article is suggesting, um, I mean, that we're becoming an, in quotes, monopoly. That's based on a notion, I think, I mean, it's quite, to be honest, it's quite hard for me article to work out exactly what, what the underlying kind of <laughs> economic theory is. Um, but I, I think it's that uh, everyone's only going to have one digital subscription, 
and we're in through the door first. The, 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 and once the New York Times is in a given household, they'll never get another subscription to anything else. So it's right. like a race. We're winning the race. Uh, there's no room for other publishers. Now, I, I want to say, I have to say, I think this is essentially nonsensical. Um, we know, we, we've got a thriving, rapidly growing international business. And we've done some surveys, country by country. We know the households where we're winning subscriptions. We know, you know at least in surveys, what percentage have already got a, a subscription to a news organization. And depending on the country, that can be 50, 60, 70, 75, even 80% of people are already subscribers to something else. And I, I, the Times appeals to people who are interested in news and appeals to people who are particularly likely to be interested in getting news from other sources as well. So I think, to be honest, the whole premise that there's a kind of likely ultimate distribution of um, news subscriptions around the world, where, if you like, if it's a kind of like a, like a poisson, it, it's a lambda, the kind of average number is incredibly close to one. Now, I want to say that doesn't, that's not our experience on the ground so far, we think as, as willingness to pay grows, um, as the quality of free news degrades, which I'm afraid is likely to happen, mm. that actually demand for new subscriptions and for a choice of multiple sources grows, and you're going to see many, many households who've got more than one subscription. And what I would say to Ben is, um, who basically seems to be implying that the world will be a better place if the New York, for, for journalism, if the New York Times didn't exist. Firstly, I've had lots and lots of emails from publishers since he published the piece. They're not saying that. They're saying, what can we learn from you? Yeah. And secondly, we are a pathfinder. We're setting a price for news, a high price. There's plenty of room for others to compete, compete below us. We're beginning to, to prove out techniques for really getting this business to work. And we are, frankly, a bit of a beacon of hope about what can be done in journalism. So I, I would humbly submit that actually there are quite powerful reasons for thinking the New York Times is good for American journalism and for journalism around the world. I think those are all, all fair points. Let, let's talk about the uh, digital subscription business itself uh, for a minute. You guys last year implemented a user registration process, which I think has helped growth. I'd love for you to spend a minute talking about the benefits of that yeah. uh, on the business and particularly on conversion as you guys move through 2020. Yeah, and I, th I think there's a very simple way to think about it. Essentially now, you, you have to, most people in most environments have to very quickly, after a single article, they, 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 they're, they're, they're asked to uh, register and then log on to get a number of free articles for the, for the next month. The effect of this is to greatly increase the number of registered, logged-on users uh, that we have on site at any one time, per week or per day or whatever. And, and this group of users we know, and for fairly obvious reasons, they're already habituating, they're already there a lot. Um, we, we can message them. Uh, we can, particularly now that we can track them because they're registered and logged on, we can track them from device to device. Um, a whole range of tactics um, for how you might persuade them to become subscribers comes into view. And the straightforward coefficients, the conversion ratios for these guys, is much higher than for, say, anonymous users. So we've greatly, I mean, really dramatically increased and are still increasing the pool of registered logged-on users and their greater propensity um, to subscribe times the growing number of them is a very significant part of the 
the reason why that model's growing. Are you sacrificing any size of the funnel because well, we're cutting that off faster? We, we, we thought, and our modeling suggested that we would, um, and we're not. We're not really. Uh, not that we can identify. We've still, we're still seeing very, if you like, peppy top of, top of funnel numbers, the, the total number of users. Um, I, I want to say, inside the organization, we're increasingly moving to um, uh, measures of kind of weekly consumption, weekly active users, uh, frequency across a week, as being more predictive of our model success than the, the kind of headline comp score numbers, which everyone used to obsess about, and some people still do. Right. Um, you know, and we want our, our, our news to be very widely, widely read, widely um, uh, consumed, because we think it's, 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 you know, we want to extend far beyond our subscribers and in terms of the value that the Times journalism can, can bring to America and the world. Um, um, I, I think it looks like at the moment we can have that cake and eat it as well, that we can keep a very broad funnel, very wide distribution influence for the Times, and yet still be really very efficient at, 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 at the, the business of conversion down to significant groups of people into subscribers. On the funnel front, Mark, talk about your promotional pricing strategy. You guys have a pretty aggressive teaser rate. Um, how does that evolve over time, and how yeah. does all this data impact the decision? And although, you know, I'm not going to argue with the phrase teaser rate, I mean, we discovered, again, by very careful testing now five years ago, that year-long introductory periods... I think a year is quite a long tease. The notion of a year is a period of habituation where actually the offer is itself habituating a given user to get used to the times so that by the time you get to the end of the year that that's a pretty committed customer uh, as opposed to someone who is just moving from sure. low offer to low offer. And I think the proof of that is the very encouraging story we're seeing at that year mark about our ability to move people from a low introductory price to a, a, you know, a, a higher price and in many cases to full price. So a kind of 4x, slightly more than 4x um, increase in price, but to a group of people who by the time they get to the end of their year have become, you know, they've kind of fallen in love with, with the times and what it can do. So, so I, I mean, we, our pricing is, is kind of amazing. We've got a dollar a week introductory offer at the digital end, so that's 50 bucks a year. We've got print seven day a week home subscribers outside New York City who are paying well over $1,000 a year. Um, so potential, to, potential willingness to pay for the times for people who are getting a lot of value out of it is very large indeed. Um, and one of the reasons we're launching other products uh, that we're doing work in podcasting and, 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 and TV and all the rest of it is so you can build a body of value which ultimately through bundling and all the rest of it can be used ultimately to like fill a demand curve even even to its highest reaches potentially yeah, yeah. Um, just thinking through the rest of the LTV to SAC math you've also implemented or announced a price increase on the digital side for the first time for yeah. your most high uh, long tenured customers talk a little bit about the thought process and size of the increase and also how much your data informs your ability to make yeah. sure that lands well and not just not just as it were um, uh, 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 you know, an analysis of pre-existing data, but really quite careful testing. Yeah, sure. Uh, and testing means at scale, 
thousands, ultimately tens of thousands of people, Good. and seeing how different prices perform and, and uh, different markets, different kind of subscribers. So we did really a lot of very, I mean, we, we are great believers now in testing our learning. We, so, you know, opinions are great, but actually trying stuff as sure. far as you can. There's always a gap between, there's always an interesting moment when you do something for real with hundreds of thousands or millions of people, which you've tried with tens of thousands. Generally, our, one of the things I, I, I feel very good about is generally our experience with the, the rollout of these big things, the new customer journey registrations, an mm -hmm. example, the step-up pricing is an example, the, 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 the main price rise I hope will be an example, is, is when you see the test proving out in, in reality. So, I mean, we, we, we were, we're looking to do two things. We, we were obviously ultimately looking at optimizing the economics and you know LTV and the direction of LTV um, uh, is, is one straightforward way of looking at that we, we, do, we don't want to do anything which is going to however decelerate the acquisition of new subscribers so that's partly a marketing issue about not wanting contention about price rises over here confusing messages about introductory offers over over here um, but also, you know, we wanted to, to execute both um, um, effectively and simultaneously. When we're doing a lot at the moment, we're continuing to work with the model. We've got a general price rise. We've got step-up pricing. Um, we're still trying to acquire very large numbers of subscribers at the same time. But, but part of the changes we've made in the digital organization are to enable us to do all these things effectively, simultaneously. Got it. Okay. Um, before we get into uh, sort of margins and expenses, I also wanted to ask you about cooking and crossword subscriptions and how you think about that opportunity and particularly the sort of unit economics for those products if those are something that's on a standalone basis you think yeah. are attractive. Well, I mean, firstly, I, I, I want to say that, that our model is really, I mean, what's going on? It's partly almost trying to replicate a very classic idea of the New York Times from its print age as being a gigantic bundle of great content, the heart of which for most subscribers is news and opinion, right. but which goes far beyond that. The, the old physical, great physical New York Times told you what to see on Broadway, you found your apartment through it, you, 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 you got recipes from it, you, you, uh, you, you figured out where to go on your holiday from it, your job. And, and the stuff you read so you could sound like you were well informed when you got to the job. All of this stuff was wrapped up in this big fat bundle. And that slightly got kind of sort of denuded or it got impoverished in, mm. in the first generation of digital where the Times got very associated with news headlines and opinion and all the rest of it. And although the rest of this stuff was there, nobody used it. And in some ways, the, 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 stand, the in quote standalone products are part of a strategy which is rediscovering and in some ways reshaping that broader offering to fit with consumer needs and so rather more precise consumer problems to be solved so um, dining was a section about food in general MIT cooking is answers the question what are you going to cook tonight for your kids what are you going to cook this weekend uh, what are the kind of new fresh interesting recipes so it's a very particular thing we think they, both cooking and crosswords are very extensible. Uh, crosswords, you'll know now, we've got other highly successful games. Spelling bee in particular is a, is a phenomenon for mm. us. But, so the idea of puzzles for smart people is itself a very extensible business. Um, cooking, 
itself naturally leads to healthy eating, um, uh, food for children, uh, possibly into a broader kind of, you know, full kind of um, uh, wellness kind of offering and so on. So they may be extensible in themselves, and they will probably get siblings. They will probably get other new products as well. And the hope is, is of products which are sufficiently compelling and clear that they can be built as individual um, standalone or have the economics which would justify their existence as standalone businesses, but also in the kind of deep in the chess game, you know, five moves, ten moves ahead, become part of bundling solutions and richer value for, for subscribers to start seeing upward pressure up that demand curve and seeing ways of over time when we're pivoting to, in a sense, thinking more, you know, more centrally about ARPU, about driving up the value of individual subscribers. Yeah. And I want to say, I don't know how that plays out. What I do know is if you've got a group of wholly owned IP kind of zones of IP creation producing valuable, engaging, high-quality, differentiated content for, for, for users in America around the world, and you've got that flow of audience engagement coming and loyalty coming into it, we can figure out how to make money out of it. Right. I mean, presumably a lot of the content costs are leverageable across these products. That would yeah, that, 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 that's, that's, that's right. But, but the, I mean, the main, the main leverage is simply scaling, digital scaling. I mean, the, to me, the big, biggest single thing is, you know, if you can get, I mean, we, you know, you can argue about what the total audience is, 130, 140, 150 million people. If you can get um, content made by one journalist uh, to 150 million people, that, that's enough leverage um, 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 given the cost of that kind of IP creation to make, to make for fabulous margins. The last thing I want to ask you about before we move on to uh, you know, other parts of the business is really around how you think about the international digital subscription opportunity for New York Times relative to the U.S. Does the approach to market differ much? And when you think about your long-term subscriber target, clearly international is a part of that. Yeah, and we, we've, we've said publicly we think that... Um, um, you know, maybe 2 million of that 10 million by, by 2025 would be ex-US, which gives you some scaling, 20%, right. you know, at, at that point. Um, um, it is, is, is kind of gives you some scaling of, of, of what we think about this. Well, I've talked about some of this. that We would we, we expect in, in, in not just in many, but probably in most ex-US households, there are some exceptions. Canada might be an exception, for example. But in most of these environments... Um, and it was, forget subscriptions, for a moment, just think about news consumption. Right. We're probably going to be number two, number three, number four, even number five in a lineup of consumption. A lot of news is local. People, sure. you know, their first port of call may well be a, a national or a, um, uh, a, a regional source of news before they turn to, um, if you like, a, a broader global um, uh, external perspective. Uh, and so you could say in practical terms, maybe we're competing with, um, in India um, or in France with CNN or The Economist or the FT or the Wall Street Journal, um, rather than directly competing with Le Monde or Le Figaro or sure. the Frankfurt Allgemeine Zeitung or whatever. Um, so it's a different place. Uh, that probably says something in the end about ultimate pricing and about introductory pricing. We're, we're experimenting with um, significantly more aggressive um, introductory offers in some international markets than we, than we do in the U.S. Um, and we're exploring, I'm not making any promises, but exploring the idea of breaking out um, 
uh, numbers in our disclosures okay. sufficiently that people can see the track of the international business and, as it were, they can derive international ARPU separately from domestic ARPU to reflect, because obviously great success internationally in driving new subscriber numbers with very aggressive introductory prices gives a dilution to total ARPU, which I think could be misleading in terms of what we're seeing in our big home market. So we'll come back to that later in the year and figure out whether that makes sense or not. Okay. But, the, but the, the, we, think it's a, it's a, we think it's a great further opportunity for the Times. Uh, and it, again, a long way ahead in the chess game, there, there is, I think, some elements of a race here to the extent that there will be a very small number of successful, ubiquitous, high-quality news brands for the world and for that vast market growing market of the many hundreds of millions of college-educated people with, with a great command of English across the entire planet. Um, we want to be one of those. Sure. Well, let's talk about the uh, expense drivers in the business. I want to ask you about content costs and yeah. also marketing. Um, you, know, you have the benefit of not being in the quote-unquote streaming wars of the video world, but how are you thinking about the right level of content investment over time? And then on the marketing side, you mentioned marketing actually has come down a little bit over the, on a year-on-year basis recently. How are you thinking about subscriber acquisition costs in the model over the medium term? So, 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 so content, I mean, we've seen very significant um, growth in our newsroom. We've got at least 300 more journalists at, in the Times than, than when I, I arrived seven years ago at the Times. Um, um, we do not see... Um, in, in all the scenarios we model, the idea that, 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 that there's going to be a need to continue that growth in those costs at the current rate. Um, um, our international strategy does not, is not based on vast numbers of additional boots on the ground around the world. We don't think that's appropriate. We think we cover the world for the world, local for global rather than local for local. Um, others have taken a different view, but that's our, that's our, our, our view. So we see those, those costs over time potentially continue to grow, but we see that, as it were, the, the, the rate of growth diverging from the, the growth in revenue if we mm -hmm. successfully scale subscription business. And I, I think broadly I want to say a similar story on marketing. We, we hope that the digital product is going to do more and more. Um, uh, 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 itself. I think we can already see that. I would point right now in our digital assets the way our live coverage, for example, live coverage of coronavirus is, is knocking it out of the park journalistically and is, is driving immense daily audiences. So I think there are, there are product enhancements we can make, which once you've made them and you've got a team working on that kind of journalism, you don't have to endlessly add to it. So, so, so I, I, see, I see the product doing more work. Um, I see us getting deriving more revenue, we can come on and talk about this, from our existing IP factory, the Facebook News yep. deal being an yep. example of that. Um, I think with marketing, um, the pivot you've seen where um, um, we're relying a bit less on performance marketing at the conversion point and thinking a bit more about brand marketing, for example, our 1619 ad um, in the Oscars recently, to try and get the message about the brand, the message about our journalism out more broadly to people who aren't familiar with the brand. So you're beginning to find, as it were, new, new, new readers, new subscribers of the future. I think you, you see that. But, but we are, you know, we have a model which calls for improving operating leverage. 
um, um, as we scale, um, um, and we can see it in our model numbers, it's my job and uh, our CFO Roland's job in particular to make sure that we watch that very closely and make sure we actually live up to our word in terms of delivering that operating leverage. Okay, well, let's move to um, those other revenue opportunities. I wanted to ask you both about Facebook news and also what Apple has been doing on the news front and get your perspective yeah. on both of those, from a, both from an industry perspective and also a New York Times business point of view. Yeah. Uh, maybe we start with Facebook. Talk about your relationship with them and how that's impacting your business. Well, I mean, we... we, we um, um, you know, you'll know that these relationships are, are extremely dynamic, <laughs> and um, it, it's kind of, or perhaps you don't know, I mean, it, 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 these are very, they, they kind of shift month, week by week, month by month. I would say at the moment that, that we, we've been a supporter of, of Facebook's uh, initiative, Facebook News. Um, Why? Uh, 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 because they paid us a lot of money. <laughs> uh, uh, um, no, we, we did it because actually we, we thought it was a genuine effort by Facebook to address some of the issues people have had with that company, um, um, delivering um, uh, human curation, uh, focusing on believability and, and quality, and trying to find a place where the two billion or so Facebook users would know they could find um, high quality news. Now, I don't know whether it's going to work for them. I, I, mean, I would say broadly, we'd, we'd wish it well. Um, it, one of its great virtues is, although they are indeed in a contract with us and are paying, paying us for, for the presence of our journalism there, uh, when, when um, Facebook users click on a time story, they come to our assets. So this brings Facebook users to our destination to actually consume, consume the journalism. So are you getting the data you want out of that? Uh, yes, because, the, 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 because they're coming to us. Yes, we are. Um, um, now, it's early days yet. This is, uh, it, it, it's launched now, but it's still very early, early days. But, but we thought that that was an example of a big platform listening quite carefully, going through quite a, a tough uh, uh, process of discussion and dialogue and agreement. So that's, that's positive, I think. Okay. Um, and how would you contrast that to what Apple News and Apple News Plus and their, well, their I mean, approach? I, I want to say that, that, that uh, I, I don't want to as it were, compare and contrast, we tend to look at each of these platforms in the light of our strategy and our overall philosophy and look at them one by one. You know, I, I, I want to say the, the, the benefits of Apple News is it's got significant dis global distribution, of course. Um, there's a natural affinity between um, Apple uh, devices and our, our, our audience. Um, uh, on the downside, Apple News is an alternative experience. Apple News right. um, uh, does not uh, uh, you don't consume, um, we, we, don't produce, we offer a very small number of stories to Apple News at the moment. You don't consume those stories um, at the times. You consume them within Apple News. So it's habituating people to look to Apple News for news, not right. the New York Times, even if the story happens to come from the Times. That runs counter to our philosophy. Right. You want them in your... Um, so at that point, the kind of, uh, is, the is the distribution you're getting worth the fact that actually you're using your journalism to habituate somebody to somebody else's products. I mean, this is it's somewhat anal analogous to the years where Disney was giving, selling its content to Netflix as opposed to running its own streaming service. Right. However, I have to say the economics 
that Disney was enjoying when they were selling their shows to Netflix were rather better than the economics we get from, from Apple News. So there's a question mark about that. I want to say no more straightforwardly. I, I've said that we're looking at each of our platform relationships um, in the light of where we've got to and our confidence in our destination. You can expect us to, to, to hear more about that over the course of the year. Great. I want to ask you one more, and then if the audience has any questions, um, please raise your hand and wait for a microphone. So I want to ask you about podcasts, mm. how that fits in both from an engagement perspective and also sort of the business of podcast production and monetization. So, I mean, I, we, we think podcasts are an incredibly exciting um, uh, new way for the Times to express its journalism, and we have with The Daily probably the, 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 the single most successful podcast in the world. So the proof of concept that we can, we can, what we do, what we stand for, our people, our journalism can really work in this environment, we've already proven that. Um, and so you think about scaling, um, um, uh, you think about audiences, the, 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 the daily, um, I think everyone here, I suppose, heard me say this before, has got a remarkably young Mm. engaged audience. It's a millennial, significantly a millennial audience. Three quarters, 40 and under, I think 45, 46%, 30 or under. Deep engagement. The show is 21, 22, 23 minutes, five times a week. We've got millions of these guys coming to us again and again. Um, and so we, we want to scale. Um, um, there's been some speculation about this in the media. I don't want to go into that except to say that we we absolutely believe this is an opportunity for us, having got the spearhead to, to widen, to get more engagement. And when, when we think about monetization, um, I think it's kind of all good news, really. I mean, this is, at the moment, very high CPMs, but this is a very attractive audience, and so there is a straightforward near-term advertising opportunity, which can more than pay, as it were, for the, for the, for the cost of this stuff, sure. so it can be profitable from, from the get-go, but you'll know if you've been following us that when we think about deep engagement, deep value, um, um, that always makes us think about whether there is a long-term habituated relationship to have with these users, which ultimately can have a subscription revenue attached to it as well. Mm. And I don't care that I don't know exactly when or how that will be. I can just smell that, that to get this essentially new audience to introduce them to the times, its values, its journalists, and to deeply engage them is going to be very good for the business. Sure. Makes sense. Questions in the audience? Uh, I've got two up front, please, if you... There we go. Go ahead. Hi. You guided to a return to digital ad growth in the second half of the year. I don't know if the ongoing circumstances might change that, but could you talk about just more broadly the drivers necessary to deliver on that return? Sure, and I talked a bit about, about this in the call a few, a few weeks ago. Um, 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 we're very excited about this, this uh, business we're building with very, very large-scale deals, by which I mean, in many cases, multiple tens of, of millions of dollars for a deal which plays out over more than one year. That will be a, And we uh, literally, uh, uh, in, in recent weeks, made significant progress. So, so one business, straightforwardly, is a different kind of long-term, multi-month, or in many cases, multi-year relationship with big brands. Um, we think the development of really effective um, advertising products based on the very high-quality first-party data we've got 
and this relates straight back to the to the very large number of, of, of registered sure. logged on uh, uh, users we now have on site where we see a lots of behavior and it means that we can potentially offer quite rich segmentation of our audience without any use of third-party data at all. So there's, there's a number of new products for us as well. Um, um, and, and to continue to look at whether there are opportunities for us in, in new platforms with new inventory like podcasting. So those will be some of the reasons that, that notwithstanding the, the, um, the coronavirus um, kind of perturbations that, that we're feeling at the moment, while we remain very confident that we can, we can achieve what you've said. Let's do uh, one last one over here. Uh, Mark, uh, you referred in your um, uh, comments uh, to the intense news cycle um, that you're benefiting from right now. Yeah. Could you maybe just talk about what specifically it is that benef you're benefiting from? Is it just politics or is it something else? And could you uh, perhaps talk about what you expect, yeah, what might change that, um, uh, maybe post the election? Sure, sure. I, I, so, what, I, I mean, I, I want to, um, I don't want to slip accidentally into guidance here, but, but so let me just talk, I'm a, if you know my, I'm, I'm, I know nothing about business, I'm a journalist, um, um, and let me just talk as a, as, as a, as a, as a journalist here. Um, uh, it, 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 what's happening at the moment in the news cycle is very broad-based. We've, we've got some set pieces. We've got a presidential election. We've got a very lively, um, you know, um, horse race, to put it that way, amongst uh, the, the Democratic contenders. So that's been, that's been very lively. But since the turn of the year, coronavirus is, is, is a bigger story than that. It is now, that, that the bigger story is not a political story. Um, we've seen other... I think really enormous um, points story, the Kobe Bryant story. Now, you may not think of the New York Times as an obvious place, uh, but actually Kobe Bryant has been an enormously important story and its ramifications. Um, Me Too and the, the, the recent trial of Harvey Weinstein is an enormous story for the Times. Uh, people come to the Times for climate coverage, and I would talk about a whole set of climate stories, but most notably in January, the Australian bushfires has been a gigantic story for us. Um, Harry and Meghan has been... In so you've got, uh, you've got a, um, um, a, a moment... And that only scratches the surface of, 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 you know, Brexit and the Brexit saga in my country um, has been something which New York Times readers globally, and in, in particular the United States, have been fascinated by. Brexit is not a big story for most American news outlets. For the Times, it's a really, it's an intriguing, it, it, it's that business of something which feels important, something which feels like it might have resonances in this country, and which is hard to understand, and we are looking for a news source which is going to make it easier to understand. So, in the same way, in, in the Notre Dame fire last year, we were outperforming most French outlets um, in terms of our coverage of Notre Dame, because our, our French audiences would think about the New York Times as bringing insight to bear on, on, on that story. So. I, I, of course, I understand why, uh, given, given, given the last five years, people think, well, you know, um, supposing... The Trump effect. Supposing American politics quietens down after the election, will, will everything change? I want to say, if you look around you at what's happening in the world, I don't think the new cycle is going to quiet down anytime soon. And I would say, I'm kind of, you know, not just a journalist, but a political journalist. I don't think the American political system itself is showing signs of kind of 
you know, sort of imminent tranquility. That, I mean, whatever the outcome is in, in November, that I think is going to continue to be a complex, divisive, um, intriguing story for many years to come. Well, I think in the uh, spirit of imminent tranquility, we will wrap up. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you Thanks, for Brent. being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.